Amen. Amen. They sing, he didn't warn me they were going to sing Beulah Land. That was my dad's favorite song. Sang it. They sang it at his funeral, and then I had to get up and preach after that. Uh, what's Church, what's the next event on God's prophetic calendar concerning you and I as Christians? Rapture of the church. I'm looking forward to that, aren't you? You know, it could happen today. I thought about, uh, I, I was teasing with them. They said all the songs today were about heaven. And I said, well, you're mistimed it because uh, we're going to talk about the Battle of Armageddon. <laughs> I said another another couple weeks and we would have had it timed just right. But, uh, you know, we think about that. The Lord's coming back soon, isn't he? I believe he is. Uh, and honestly, whether it's through the grave or through the rapture, we're going to be with him soon if we know him. And I thought about that song you just sang, How Beautiful Heaven Must Be. There's, there's beauty there because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's there. That's the main focus. But then I thought there's others that are there that we all love and, and, and long to see someday. I think about my dad. I used to call him every day or he'd call me. Uh, and I don't think Heather knew what she was getting into when she married me because... Uh, me and him were just alike, and and now I'm seeing that in my sons and then my grandsons even. Of course, we tease Emily that she's raising a baby Emily with Evie, but uh, I miss him. I miss talking to him. You know what? There's going to be a day for eternity that we can sit down by the river of life and we can talk as much as we want to it's going to be a wonderful place. I thought about this with the battle of Armageddon, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I made a mistake this week. I got to study in the millennial reign of Christ and, and then realized, oh, that's not till maybe next week. Or I might get fired up preaching about it tonight. That might be even good for tonight. I don't know. But uh, I thought, well, I still got another. I wasn't ready for Sunday yet. <laughs> uh, but I thought about that of, you know, there's in the millennial reign, give you a little preview of that. In the millennial reign of Christ, there's still going to be people that are born on this earth throughout that time who need to be saved, who are born with a sin nature, just like you and I, and they need to be saved. And I, I was telling Brother Daniel this morning, I said, can you imagine somebody who is saved, they've placed their faith in Christ, they've went into, they were alive when the Lord showed up at His second coming, and they've gone into the millennial reign of Christ. They haven't died yet. They're on this earth. And they love the Lord, and they're worshiping the Lord, and they're, they're benefiting from His glory and reign on this earth, and the curse is partially lifted, and there's peace, and there's prosperity and joy. And they look at me and Daniel who are already in a glorified body, who've already been to heaven, who've already spent years with the Lord in heaven, and they get excited and they look at me and Daniel and say, whoo, brother, I don't think it could get any better than this. And we say to him, you just wait. You just wait. <laughs> I look forward to that day, don't you? We could just sort of camp out right there and talk about how good God is. I'm thankful that he... Gave himself for me, aren't you? 
That God loves us. He cares for us. He was willing to come and die for us. So that we could be with Him. We had that verse in, your, in, your, uh, in, your, in the bulletin out of John 17. As the Lord would pray that we would be as one. Really as He and His Father are one. The very next verse, and we, didn't, we left that one out because it was just, we printed it out and it was a lot to, to memorize. <laughs> so we cut it down to just one. But you know what? The very next verse says, Father, I will that they be with me where I am. He's praying in that chapter as though he's already finished his work on the cross and he is in heaven. And he's praying that we would be with him in heaven someday. I look forward to that. And I, and I think about that. I'm only there because of the finished. I'll only be there because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I think about the major thing. You know, we think about the focus of the Lord Jesus. We think about the focus, excuse me, of the Bible uh, focusing in on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we look at Revelation and you begin to think about in the book of Revelation, the... Uh, the the plagues and the the one world leadership under the antichrist and the one world religion the false religion that's anti god if you're not careful sometimes you can get sort of tied up in all of that sort of it's it's important we understand it and we know what's going to happen and know what's going on and 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 all of that but if we're not careful we lose the focus of what this book is all about and that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself and this book points to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think, I guess, uh, the, the three major, if you think about the, the three major events of, of the Lord being born, uh, the Lord's death and resurrection, and His second coming. And, and it's all pointing to who? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the central focus. Uh, at the second coming, the Lord's going to come back. And, and guess what? Whether this world wants to admit it or not, or acknowledge that it's coming, He's going to be the central focus of every single thing that's going on in this world. And I want to remind you this morning, guess what? He already is the central focus. He's already the one that's in control of everything. Now, I'm going to shock you. Here's the big reveal. I finally got my glasses. And y'all have to bear with me because I can see just fine like this and I can't read unless I put these on. But when I look back up, I can't see anymore. So I got, <laughs> I got to figure out how to use them. But uh, I am back to, praise the Lord, I'm back to my preaching Bible. It feels good to hold that again. Anyway, the Bible says that the Lord's coming back. We know that. We know that he's coming in all his glory and we're coming back with him. Let's look at Revelation chapter 19. Uh, <clears throat> we talked about last week the marriage supper of the Lamb and how that we'll be in white robes and, and we'll be with the Lord and, and forever be with the Lord. At this point, we've already been in heaven with Him for seven years. That'll probably feel like that much, right? And verse 11 says, John says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteous, righteousness he doth judge and make war. 
His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen and white and clean. That's you and I, by the way, the bride of Christ, those of us who are saved and know him today. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us this morning. Lord, we sure need your help. I pray that you would guide my thoughts and my words. Speak to our hearts today. Lord, I pray that if there's someone who doesn't know you as their Savior, they would come to know you today. They'd get it settled, do a work in their heart and life. And Lord, we just uh, thank you for all you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to remind you this morning that when we think about all of this, uh, yes, the Lord will be in absolute control at that time. He's going to deal with the evil armies of this world. He's going to deal with the Antichrist. He's going to deal with this whole situation. But I want to remind us this morning that God is in control. He's orchestrating everything that goes on. Back in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, the Bible says, And the sixth angel poured out his vial over the great river Euphrates, and water therefore was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come up out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And you remember we, we talked about this as uh, spiritually speaking of, of demons who are going to be released to, as it were, influence this world. It's part of the plagues that are going on that God is sending. But these demons are going throughout the world to influence kings and move nations. And it said, says verse 14, For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathereth them to get, he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Uh, God himself is in control of this. Yes, demons will be going throughout the earth, influencing men. Satan will rage as he's been cast down to the earth and he knows his time is short and, and, and he's going to rage and, and, and have influence and these demons are going to move these nations uh, to, a, to unify them and then bring them, as it were, against one another all at the same time. But I want to remind you that God is the one that's in control of this. They're not doing whatever they want to do or however. God is in control of all of this. He says, he says, behold, I come as a thief. Uh, as quick as, uh, so, he said, be watching, be waiting because it's going to happen before you know all this is going to go on. And he said, and, and he gathered, he gathered them into a place called the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Revelation 17, 18. We talked about how God used these nations to go against the Antichrist and they began to judge uh, through their attack. God judges 
this one world religion, this Babylonian type religion, uh, God uses them to judge them. And the Bible says in verse 18 of chapter 17, for God hath put it, put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. God is the one that's orchestrating all of this. Years, year, way back in the book of Joel, Joel mentioned uh, present judgment and future judgment. And in Joel chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, it says this, Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for they will sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. God is the one who's orchestrating all of this. They're not freely doing, they think they're doing what they want. The Antichrist will think that he's large and in charge. False prophet will be uh, uh, pushing the worship of the beast and, and think that he's high priority and all of these things. But we know that God's in control. When you look at the world today and you see all the evil that's going on and all the things that are happening, I see all these nations who mock God. You see kings who, you know, I think about even in our own government, the kings and rulers and leaders who, who, who make decisions uh, completely, not, not without considering God, but now completely against the things of God. And they mock God's word and they mock God's people. We are slowly, not slowly, swiftly, we are swiftly becoming the, the minority, small minority in our country today. Um, the world is anti-God, anti-Christ. It's against the Lord. This, this world and its leaders think that they're in charge, but God's the one that's orchestrating all of this. I think about the people who are as it were, worshiping the earth, claiming that the earth is uh, under global warming. If you remember, it used to be, uh, I don't know if you remember, I can remember when I was a little tiny boy, they were talking about an ice age coming again. I remember when, how many of you remember Y2K when the year 2000 rolled around and all the computers are going to shut down, the whole world's going to collapse, right? We've lived through a lot of those things, haven't we? Guess what? The world's not ended yet. Guess what? The world's not going to end. You know, they said, what was it, that little, what's her name, Greta Thornburg, stood up and said, how dare we destroy her world and, and destroy her hopes and dreams and the world's going to collapse in 10 years. That's our, I just want to remind you, that's already been about three years ago. We don't have much time, I guess. But, you know, Al Gore was claiming that about 20 years ago. The world's still here. You know why it's here? Because God's in charge. <laughs> God's the one that decides when all this is done. He's the one that's going to destroy this world. Not man. Man does everything they can, I think, to destroy themselves sometimes. But God's the one that's ultimately going to bring judgment upon this, this earth. The Lord Jesus Christ is not going to share. You know, understand, this is part of His glory. As God, He will deal with evil in this world. You're guaranteed that. God said all these things are going to take place when? Until His Word is fulfilled. And then when everything, everything that God says will happen, guess what? It will. 
It's going to happen. Why do I know that? Because God's in charge. God is, what he says, happens, happens. We talked about that in the beginning of all the things and prophecies that have been fulfilled already regarding the things that the Lord had said and exactly what he says is going to happen will happen. As the Lord Jesus himself uh, returns, it's part of his glory as God. He's going to stand before this world as King of kings and Lord of lords. And they won't be able to deny it. They won't be able to fight against it. He's King of kings. He's Lord of lords. I think about him this morning in his second return. The first thing I think about when I look at this is his virtue. Look at verse 11. The Bible says... I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called what? Faithful and true. Matthew twenty four thirty five says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. We just read there in, in Revelation uh, chapter uh, uh, 17 where the Lord said, uh, For God hath put it in their hearts, he's, he's moving them, he's doing his will, uh, until the words of God shall be Fulfilled. God spoke, we read back in Joel chapter 3 where God spoke and, and that this day was going to come. And guess what? It's going to come just as sure as he said. Why? Because he's faithful and he's true. Aren't you thankful for him today, this morning? Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ is faithful and true? That every word he says, he, the Bible says that his very name, his very... Uh, title is the word of God in John chapter 1 the Bible says this in the beginning was the word speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ in the beginning was the word and the word was with God the the same was in the beginning with God the words with God he made everything not there was not anything made that was uh, made that he didn't have that he didn't do he is the very word of God Everything that we need to know about the Lord Jesus Christ is found in this book, isn't it? This book points to him. I mentioned that earlier. In the Old Testament, it points to the coming Messiah. In the Old Testament, it also speaks of pre-incarnate appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Gospels, the Messiah has come. He's born in Bethlehem. He's lying in a manger uh, he, he goes throughout his ministry. He does miracles and, and wonders and works that only the, the Lord could do. He is taken and, and he's sacrificed on a cross, but praise God, on the third day, he resurrected. In the New Testament, we read about his church that he's established and, and, and we go forth to serve him and to live for him. And then you get to the book of Revelation and it speaks of his coming again. It's all about him. And everything that God's word says regarding him is true. It is faithful. It will come to pass. Everything God said about his birth came to pass. Everything God's, God's word said about his Death came to pass. Everything God's Word has said about His resurrection has come to pass. Everything that God has said about Him is faithful and true. And we can be assured that when God says He's coming back, guess what? He's coming back. I don't have to worry. I don't have to doubt. I don't have to fear. I don't have to wonder about it. It's guaranteed. Why? Because He is faithful and true. On a personal side, we can apply that to our lives, can't we? His words are true for us to base our life upon. As your pastor, and I point to you and say, listen, follow God's word. He'll lead you in your family. 
He'll lead you with your children. He'll help you to raise your family the way they ought to be raised. Teach your children about God. And and you can base all of these things based on the very Word of God. Why? Because it's true. If I say to you, obey God's Word and God's going to bless you and help you, you can know that you can do that and be assured of blessings in your life. Why? Because God's Word is true. God gives us promises. When I say to you, listen, I know you're going through a hard time in your life, things that you might not have ever thought you'd have to deal with in your life, and, and when nobody else understands you and nobody else seems to care, even, even care about you in the world, Jesus Christ will never leave you. He will never forsake you. How can I say that with assurance? Because His words are faithful and true. We serve a faithful God. The Bible says the moment that you got saved, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, God. He indwelt you. He sealed you, the Bible says, until the day of redemption. You're guaranteed that. How can we stand here today and sing about heaven and long for heaven and know that we're going there? Because God's Word says we are. To be absent from the body for a Christian is to be present with the Lord. When he talks about the rapture, the Bible says in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to take you up. You're going to be caught up in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Uh, We're going to get a new body and we'll forever be with the Lord. How do I know that's true? Because God's word says it's true. The world doesn't understand that, do they? They say, how can you follow a book written by men? Uh, We're following a book that was written out by 40 different authors over 1,600 years that perfectly coincides one with another. (laughs) I shared a diagram on a Wednesday night one night and everybody thought I was getting liberal or woke. Looked like a rainbow. (laughs) It wasn't a rainbow. (laughs) By the way, there's nothing wrong with the rainbow. That's that's another faithful and true promise of the Lord that he's never going to flood this earth again. But might want to be careful about things that we hand over to the world too quickly. What that diagram was, they had done research and they looked at all the cross-references between Old Testament and New Testament. This verse refers to this verse and this verse refers to this verse. And it all meshes and it all matches. And there was over, uh, there was several thousand, I forget how many, over 6,000 cross-references just in this one study alone. How can that be? How can, it all, how can somebody write a, a, in a book that the book's... The books are hundreds and if not thousands of years apart and they mesh because they have one author, God, who's faithful and true. And we can base our life upon that and we can know that when God says He's coming back, He's coming back. And I see the picture of that, don't you? Who's with Him? Who's with Him? The church, His bride. Heaven's open. He appears in all His glory. And who's riding up behind Him? We are. That's a testimony to His faithfulness. That we're with Him. We'll forever be with Him. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. For all eternity, we are with Him. And here we're seen in the most perfect climax to, to all that He's done on this earth. Why do I say that? Because God's going to deal with sin. And only God can do that. We can resist sin. We can fight against it. Only God can truly deal with it. 
You understand that God, when he saved you, he saved you from the penalty of sin. You've been forgiven. You've been set apart, sanctified, reconciled unto God. You are saved from the power of sin in your life. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. God's made a way out. He gives us a way out of temptation. We don't have to be a slave to sin. We don't have to live in a, and be involved in a sinful world. We have to be in this world and reach folks in this, but we don't have to be of this world. We don't have to have sin in our lives. We can live a life that's free from the power of sin and be blessed and grow and mature in the Lord. Have the blessings of God rather than the consequences of sin. Aren't you thankful for that today? I, I'm thankful for 1 John 1, 9. That God says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't have to be a slave to sin. Will I sin? Will I say wrong things or think wrong things? Sure. But then I can realize it and repent and turn to God and say, God, please forgive me and keep me away from that. And guess what? He's faithful and true and He will. He's not, listen, there's never, this isn't a license to sin, but it's a promise that God will forgive our sin. He is never going to say to you, you messed up again. That's the 14th time I've forgiven you for that. I'm done with you. I'm not forgiving you this time. You're never going to hear that. Why? Because He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you know, we, we've been saved from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. Someday we're going to be saved from the very presence of sin. First of all, it'll be removed from us. We won't have a sin nature anymore. Won't that be a wonderful thing? I think about the millennial reign. I keep jumping there. I really want to, I want to preach on that. <laughs> uh, I think about that and how that we're going to serve. The Bible says as kings and priests, we're going to serve him. I'm just hanging out. Well, how you doing, Daniel? Hanging out here in Jerusalem again. No. He's going to give us work to do. We're going, I, I thought about what if he makes me mayor of Newport? Gov, <laughs> governor of Tennessee. <laughs> you know what? There will come a day when he asks me to do something. And because I don't have a sin nature, I won't mess it up. He'll say, Vince, I need you to do this, this, and this, and I'll do it, and I'll come back. It'll be perfect. It'll be right. It'll be just. No mistakes, no attitude, no nothing. I didn't mean to look at you, Mildred, when I said that. <laughs> Y'all understand there's certain ladies in this church I have to pick on routinely, or they don't think I love them anymore. But Actually, she's the one that has to correct. Mildred's the, that's the one that, they, well, her and about 14 other ladies have to correct me. Anyhow, moving on. We'll be able to serve the Lord without mistakes, without sin influencing our lives. Won't that be a wonderful thing? On top of that, God's going to deal with sin in this world. How many of you today are sick of the evil that goes on in our day? You're tired of hearing all the filth and the, the wickedness and the evil. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. You know God's going to deal with all of this someday. He's a virtuous God who deals with sin. He says that He will. We've just read that He will. And we can be assured that He will. We see not only His virtue, but in this His visible return. 
The Bible says that he's going to return and the whole world's going to see that. He, uh, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. God says, even so, come on. <laughs> uh, he, he's going to be visible. He's going to be seen by all the world. Um, Matthew chapter 24, the Lord Jesus Christ, is he's speaking to his disciples in chapter 24 and 25, and he's talking to them about the future of Israel, of the Jewish people. And he tells them, here's what to look for for my second coming. Not the rapture, don't confuse the rapture in these chapters, but the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to these Jewish men, here's what this generation should look for to know that I'm coming again. Let's hold our place right here in Revelation uh, 19. And let's look back in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And verse 20, we'll start around verse 29. The Bible says, and this is pretty specific. You say, Pastor, how do you know that he's talking about the the second coming and not the rapture. Let me ask you, when does the rapture occur, church? We, we are pre-trib. You know what that means? We're out of here before the, we're, we're, we're out of here before the tribulation starts. That's, that's the best plan, I think, don't you? Um, and, but how, so how do we know that this chapter is talking, that the Lord is talking about, um, the second coming? When does the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ occur? At the what? End of the tribulation. God has brought about his vile or bold judgments and all of these things are culminating and these nations are moving against the Antichrist. They're all coming into uh, this valley of Armageddon, of uh, 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 valley of Megiddo and in the battle of Armageddon and, and, uh, and, and then the Lord shows up. So how do I know this chapter is talking about the second coming? Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened. So immediately at the what? End of the tribulation. You know, if we just study God's word for what God's word says, it'll help us to understand the things that God's trying to tell us. It'll help us have a right understanding of things. I can't tell you how many times I've heard preachers preach out of chapter 24 and 25 and use it as regarding the rapture and not the second coming of Christ. The context of God's word tells us, and many times God straight up tells us, as in this verse, what he's talking about. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That sounds very similar to what we just read, doesn't it? Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. The Bible says there in uh, 
verse 30, and then Matthew 24, 30, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So God says, what's the signs of this? Well, it's going to be not coming to us in the clouds. He's going to be coming to us. Uh, coming in the, for us in the rapture in the clouds, he's going to come down. He's going to take us to be with him. The world won't see that. We'll just be gone in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, we're just out of here. But the second coming, the whole world's going to see it. They're going to mourn and wail because of him. Why? Because judgment now is here. Right? The world at this point has already been facing the wrath of God and now they're going to face the final judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He's going to pour out the very wrath of God. And it's going to be a visible thing for all the world to see. Now I mentioned that about phones and things and satellite and television, right? How that when the... You remember the Bible says we read in Revelation how the Antichrist is going to pretend to die, have a false resurrection... And the whole world's going to see it and believe. How will they know? Well, we have phones, right? But I've sort of thought about this on the second coming. Let me ask you. (laughs) We've talked about some of the plagues and the the judgments that are coming, right? There's There's an earthquake that's coming at the end of the tribulation that the Bible says, no mountain shall stand, no hill. It's all flattened out. Everything's moved out of its place. There's going to be hailstorms of fire that are 70, 80, 90 pound balls of hail crashing down onto this earth. Let me ask you, how many satellites and antennas you think will still be working for phones? To work? Probably not many. So, and the Bible says though, Jesus said in Matthew 24, the sign of the Son of Man, it's coming. Well, what's the sign? Well, the Lord says in those days, the whole earth is going to go black. It's going to be it's facing the wrath of God. He's pouring out His wrath. There's going to be smoke, there's fire, there's judgment, there's destruction. The whole sun is blackened now, and it's going to be pitch black. And I want you to think about this this morning, because it, if you really think about it, it'll get you stirred up a little bit. Pitch darkness. Pitch black dark. Anybody ever been in complete darkness? There's a little exhibition coal mine in Beckley, West Virginia. And it's a, when you get under there, in the middle, it's a mile under the underground. <laughs> we, we took our kids one year, and Clayton was just a little bitty thing. And they get all the way under there, and guess what they do? Turn the lights out. They've got to show you how dark it is in there. And you're thinking, well, I already know it's going to be dark in here. And, and listen, it is... Scary darkness. Pitch black dark. You know the only place that's going to be like that for eternity is hell. Pitch black darkness. You could put your hand in front of your face and no matter how long you hold it there, your eyes will not adjust. You will not see your hand to get some sort of light. I remember Clayton was just a little bitty thing and they cut the lights out and I heard him go, Mom, (laughs) Dad, Mom. And he kept getting loud and the lady flipped the lights back on real quick. (laughs) He's about to panic. The whole earth is going to be pitch black dark. And then the Lord Jesus Christ shows up. You remember Jesus went on what the Bible calls the Mount of Transfiguration. 
And he revealed of Peter, James, and John his glory, partially, really, partially. And, and, and I believe it was Peter said, his face shone as the noonday sun. Here's pitch black darkness around the entire earth. And Jesus Christ shows up brighter than the noonday sun. In all His glory, in all His reign, the One who's faithful and just on His vestures, King of kings and Lord of lords, and all of us in absolute righteousness will be riding in with Him. And the whole earth will no doubt see Him and bewail Him because judgment has come. Now, when that happens... He's going to deal with this earth. We won't have to fight. That's the best kind of battle to be. That's the best army I want to join. If I want to join an army, I want to be guaranteed. I just get to set and watch the, the lead guys wipe it out, and I just cheer them on. I remember my sister told me one time uh, her, her, her two boys played sports, but her youngest son played soccer, and he, he, he loved it, and he was good at it, and he... He was uh, just about to move to the next level of the age grades, but he was the oldest one in his group, and he ended up with a whole group on his team that that was their first year, and he was the only one who knew how to play soccer. Everybody else was their first time ever stepping out on a field. She said they were playing a game, playing against another team, and here goes Wade, and he takes off down the field, and he's moving past this guy, moving past him. He's working his way down the field. And he said as he worked his way down, gradually each one of his teammates stopped. By the time he got to the end, it was Wade against the whole other team. And his little team was standing there going, Go, Wade, go, go, go. <laughs> and he said, she said, finally, Wade just went and kicked the ball to them and went back. <laughs> he, he had to give up. <laughs> you know, we're going to be cheering the Lord on, and we won't have to do a thing. Only in this way, he's not giving up. He's ultimate victory, amen? But he's showing up brighter than the noonday sun. On his vestures, King of kings and Lord of lords, there's no one like him. As Lord of lords, he's the creator, the ancient of days, the mighty God who creates this world, and in, this wor- in, this, in him all things consist in this world. As king of kings, there's no one greater than him. Other rulers have tried to proclaim this title uh, in, in ancient days. and uh, Probably today, if they could get away with it, they would conquer other nations and they would stand, they'd bring the king of the defeated nation in and stand on their neck to show that they were victorious over them. And those such as Nebuchadnezzar who had great victory and was ruler, one of the major rulers, players of this world, or the pharaohs of Egypt would claim to be king of kings. But nobody's greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. All the, at this point in time, all the nations of the entire world, including the Antichrist, are against him, and there's none greater than he. There's no one greater than him. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 says this, 
Uh, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is uh, his, is his body, the fullness of him that uh, filleth all in all. Hebrews tells us that he's greater than the angels. Uh, he's never said to the angels, set on my right hand side, the writer of Hebrews says. He's greater than Moses. The Jews would love to, they always love to claim Moses and his ancestors. He's greater than he. He's the great high priest. All other priests couldn't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but he's our great high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. They would offer up sacrifices year after year after year, thousands upon thousands of sacrifices. He is our great high priest who would offer up himself once for all. There's no one greater than him. He's greater than Abraham. He's a greater sacrifice. He has a greater covenant. <laughs> Everything in him is greater and better. He's, he's, he's uh, our King of kings and Lord of lords. And in this, he's absolutely victori- victorious. What's his purpose? Well, he's come to make war with the nations. Um, he says... Verse 15, and out of his mouth, he's going to make an end, the Bible says, to the Antichrist and his reign. Look down at verse 20, it says, and the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, uh, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. This world leader who's been in all of his power and all his glory on this earth, the Lord just takes him and casts him into a lake of fire. Um, He's going to mark the beginning of his reign on this earth. Once this battle is over, he rules and reigns for another thousand years, literally on this earth. What's his weapon? His own word. His own spoken word. He says it's uh, verse 15, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that... With it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He's going to judge this world with the power of his word. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked the the priest and, and the soldiers, Who seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And when he said, I am he, they all fell back and fell down to the ground. Can you imagine that he had to wait for them to get up so they could arrest him? <laughs> he said to the Pharisees, uh, as in regards to Moses, he said, before Moses was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I think about the power of his word. At the power of his word, this world was created. Through his own power, he's resurrected. And and in this, we have to realize he's coming in absolute righteous judgment. What's the purpose of this? He's judging this world in righteous judgment. Who better to judge this world? He's the great high priest. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He created them. He knows them. He knows their hearts. 
The Bible talks about when it speaks of the Word of God, that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He will judge in absolute righteousness. Say, Pastor, what if he messes up and he wipes somebody out that didn't deserve it? No, he's a discerner of hearts and intents. He, he knows their heart. He knows their intent. He knows their actions. And he will judge them accordingly and immediately. His sword of his mouth will be swift judgment. He says in Matthew 24, remember we said that was regarding the uh, the, his second coming and his judgment, he says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. He says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree, which when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. He said, There are signs that you know it's, it's going to be summer or it's going to be fall, it's going to be harvest time. Uh, look to say, in the same way you'll know the Lord is coming. And he says, so likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the door. And he said, verily unto, uh, say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now what's the, con- I've heard preachers mess this one up. And they say, well he told the apostles their generation wouldn't pass till everything happened. That's not the context of this chapter, is it? Who's he speaking of? The generation that's going to be looking in the tribulation for his second coming. And he said it's going to be so swift that those in those days, their their generation will not pass. They'll know that uh, I'm going to see this happen in my day. He said it's going to be swift. It's going to be like lightning in the east. It's going to be sweeping and severe. Look at verse nine, uh, chapter 19 and verse uh, uh, 17. He says, and I saw an angel, and we'll be done in two minutes. You're counting down. He says, I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried. Help if I'd put these back on. Cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of the horses, and of them that sat on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. God is not a discerner of persons or a respecter of persons when it comes to dealing with sin. Doesn't matter who they are, whether they're the king, all the way to the beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet. They'll all be dealt with. He says, and I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army that wrought miracles before him, which he deceived them, uh, which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Every one of them is dealt with with the power of his word. They're immediately done. There's no battle. There's no argument. There's no fight. It's, they haven't got the first shot off. He's spoken and they're judged. They're wiped out. The birds are already getting ready to have a buffet. And then I thought it was interesting. The Bible says, verse 21, And their remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Uh, look back real quick at Matthew chapter 24. In verse 28, we're going to finish right here. 
Matthew, I just want you to see how broad this judgment is. He says in chapter 24 and verse 28, it says, for, who, so for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. What are they doing? The birds are there to eat the dead. Look at Matthew 25 and verse 31. He shall send his angels uh, uh, with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. We're gathering together to come with him. He says, uh, Verily, verily, verse 34, I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour no man uh, know not the angels of heaven but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were so, shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So they're going to be given in marriage. Everybody going about living their life as though nothing's going to happen and then it happens. And he says, verse 44, Therefore be ye also ready. He says, Be ye also ready for in such an hour... As ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is faithful and wise servant, who his Lord hath made ruler of his household to give them meat in due season? He says, make ready and all of that. And he says, uh, and he shall begin to smite his fellow servants. He says, verse 50, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. Thou shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He says back in verse 37, in the days of Noah, he said, they'll be given in marriage and drinking and eating and, and going about their daily lives. He says, uh, these two, uh, there's two men working in the field. One is taken and one is left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one is taken and one is left. In other words, no one is going to be spared from this judgment. He's not talking about the rapture and taking folks out. He's talking about judgment. They're taking in judgment. So to me, it has the idea of this, that every one of them at that moment will be judged accordingly. See, there's not going to be any unsaved people that go into, that go into the millennial reign of Christ. Only saved people will go into that millennial reign. Everybody else is judged. When are they judged? At this moment. That's a fearful thought, isn't it? And, and we can be assured and know that God is going to deal with sin. Someday he's going to deal with it completely. What's our solution to that, Pastor? Be ready for it. See, if you don't know him, everything I just read is a very scary thing. I don't think if I asked, is there, who wants to be living in this, on this earth and trying to make this decision at that time? And if anybody wants to be there, Raise your hand. I don't think anybody's going to do that. So what's the solution? Know Him as your Savior today. You miss out on all that. You get to be a part of the crowd that's riding in with Him, watching the battle instead of being destroyed in the battle. But we can be guaranteed that if we reject the Lord Jesus Christ, there's somebody alive. The Bible says your, the tribulation begins. You will believe a lie and you'll be part of the ones that are wiped out at this moment. Not because you're sinful, not because God doesn't love you, but because you've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. What's the solution? Accept Him.